You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Today is the day that we're going to culminate our Compassion Month, the time each year that we focus on God's heart for the poor. And we're going to do that today by receiving our annual offering that funds our ministry to and with the poor uh, for the upcoming year. So I had someone ask me yesterday that was serving with us uh, for the, the Thanksgiving gift boxes, you know, how do we fund this? And he, he's new to our church. And it's like, well, the offering we're receiving tomorrow is going to fund this outreach for 2022. Uh, how it was funded today for this year was the offering that was received last November. And so that's the way this thing works. And uh, we're going to receive the offering and pray over the offering later uh, this morning. But um, as we culminate uh, this this. Compassion Month, uh, we've, we've called and themed this month God's justice for the poor. And, and our theme verses come from Psalm 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. And as we talked about earlier this month, in its very simplest form, the very raw bottom line form of justice is simply this. It is the satisfaction of seeing everything that is a mess in our own lives or in the world around us, set right as God, who is a God of justice, uh, comes and reveals himself. And he does so uh, with his justice that is loving, that is true, that is good. This is what Jesus came to earth to do, to show us the Father. He said, I come not for my own purposes, but I come to do the will of my Father. And he comes to earth to reveal who Father God is. And he, he shows us, he puts on flesh and he demonstrates what this justice looks like. And then Jesus calls his disciples then and his disciples today to go and do the same. And the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to do the ministry of justice of the Father, he empowers us today. And that is uh, very good news. He calls us to extend justice, especially to the poor. This morning, we're going to look at how Jesus demonstrates uh, this justice in another account in the Gospels. We're calling this kindness instead of shame. And this kindness was extended to someone who was caught in a very unfortunate situation that is recorded in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me, or you can read the passages on the screen this morning. This is what John writes to us. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, 
where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit-breathed word. We pray that you would just bless the the reading and the hearing of your spirit-breathed word, that our minds, our hearts, our spirits would be open and ready to fully receive it, and that our lives would be fully engaged and empowered by you, Holy Spirit, to live this out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is usually, you know, subtitled in your, in your Bibles in terms of the beginning of this particular this section, the woman caught in adultery. The reality is it should be called the woman caught in adultery and the men caught in hypocrisy. That's, that's really what it should be called. Yeah. Uh, but this entire scenario, as John clearly points out, was, was just developed and staged to entrap Jesus. Uh, These religious leaders had no interest in righteousness. If they had been, uh, they would have had the man there as well because the law dictates, the law they're referring to actually dictates that both parties, and it takes two, uh, caught in adultery would would be brought before uh, the, the temple to be stoned. And so the man's nowhere to be found. Um, The scribes and Pharisees suspected that Jesus would probably tell the woman that her sins were forgiven, but then that would also mean that he would be teaching people to ignore part of the law, which would also get him, quote unquote, in trouble. Well, this woman was merely a pawn. She was merely a pawn in this big grand scheme of these religious leaders. And too often, the poor are used as powerless pawns in unjust systems. Uh, We see this here. We've seen this throughout history. We continue to see this today in the world around us. We don't know a lot about this woman. We don't know a lot about this woman. We know very few details, but we know that, you know, maybe she was a prostitute or maybe she was simply a woman who had made a really unfortunate decision and now she was being humiliated by a group of powerful men. But regardless, this public humiliation was probably, regardless of, of her status, was probably going to mean that if she, first of all, she might be stoned to death or the very least would be that she would be so publicly humiliated and outcast from her family and society that she would be destitute and given to a life of poverty. I'm I'm thankful to say that through our Vineyard Compassion Fund uh, in 2021, uh, that Vineyard Church has been able to help women in our local area uh, who have been involved in sex trafficking. Uh, Throughout the year, we've supported a wonderful organization, a local organization called GLM2, which stands for God Loves Me Too. And it is a a wonderful organization that helps local women who have been sex trafficked, along with women and children who've been victims of domestic uh, abuse and violence. And so I'm I'm thankful that that we recognize this is still a major problem in the world around us, and it's one even in our local area, and we're involved in that, and your compassion dollars have helped uh, go to to serve serve and help in this area. The, The Old Testament and the New Testament are very clear that we are called to care for the poor, but too often 
uh, systems, unjust systems, or systems that are well-intentioned but can become unjust, uh, governmental systems. We see the poor being used as pawns for political power grabs at times, that, and, and things that really don't benefit the poor at all. Too often, decisions and policies are made uh, that, that really just benefit politicians or bureaucracies. And, and, and so we need to recognize that this is another example of this, that they're serving themselves more than the poor. And, and this, in this situation in John 8, this poor woman, uh, yeah, she had sinned uh, and whatever brought her to that point, but she was, she was collateral damage in their scheme, in their device. There was no real concern for her. I mean, she was not even addressed. Talk about a poor and a voiceless and a powerless person. They never even addressed her. They just flung her in the middle of the crowd and began to accuse her in order to entrap Jesus. But the religious leaders remind Jesus that the law says that anyone caught in adultery should be put to death by stoning. And you got to understand, this was in the law. Stoning was a means of execution. And if you read in the New Testament, you know that it still continued in the New Testament. Read over in Acts, and we find that Stephen, uh, a faithful follower of Jesus, a deacon uh, in the early church, he was stoned because of his faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, stoning was not the most efficient way to execute a human being, but stoning certainly does have one important distinction over and above other means of execution. It can be carried out as a communal activity. Stoning allowed everyone in the community to participate in, in throwing a stone, and at the same time, it allowed each individual to exonerate themselves by saying, I didn't kill him, I only threw a stone. And this dynamic is happening here. We see the incredible wisdom of Jesus on display, the wisdom from God, the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus in this moment to recognize what's going on and to speak to it. Jesus refused to allow the Pharisees to incite an angry mob. And we know, we've seen recent incidents in our own country of, of, of situations where riots have been in, incited, whether they were about racism or about uh, you know, taking over the capital. We've seen that. We see the danger of, of, of mob mentality and the fact that individuals find themselves doing things they would never do as an individual, but you get a mob together, they're right in there. And, and we need to recognize that, uh, I love the words of, of the Danish theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he wrote, the crowd is untruth. And that's important for us to recognize here. And Jesus responds to this crowd and what he sees happening, the potential for a mob reaction with a simple yet a profound statement that just again demonstrates the wisdom of our God, the wisdom empowering uh, Jesus in this moment. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And all of a sudden, the group of individuals, they, they, they were no longer a, a crowd. They were a group of individuals. They came to realize that they had to look at their own lives and assess their own personal righteousness in that moment, in that word. And we today, 
wherever we find ourselves, whether it's social media, whether it's conversations, political causes, we need to be careful not to fall prey to mob impulses. As individuals, we need to study, we need to think, we need to pray about important issues and then act, then act. Uh, don't, you know, study, think, pray. Uh, you know, especially issues regarding the poor. Uh, this, these decisions really affect people's lives real people with real lives, it's easy to get caught up in groupthink. It's, it's easy to, to find ourselves in information silos where we're just feeding ourselves more information about the things that we already agree with rather than reading a, a wider spectrum of things. We need to think about uh, the, the issues. We need to talk to, and, and, and discuss it and look for a, a variety of, of, of reliable resources and pray about what our right response should be. And I also want to encourage you, talk to individuals, real people that these policies will affect. These are not just issues that don't affect real people. These are people's lives. People who had mothers and fathers, people made in the image of God, people that God gave with purpose and he entrusted with dignity. We're called uh, to, to, to talk to them, to, to give them that dignity. One by one in this incident, individual people began to drop their stones and walk away. And, and John notes specifically beginning with the oldest, probably because they lived more life. They had more unrighteousness to, to, to deal with. And the reality of that, but one by one, they left. And interestingly, throughout this incident, Jesus was doing something that really seems a bit odd. I mean, to find himself in this, this kind of situation where this woman has been thrown, she's been made a spectacle of, to be humiliated. And what does Jesus do? Um, he... he he finds himself in the midst of these heightened emotions, this, this, this crazy drama. He stoops down repeatedly, takes his finger, and he writes in the dust on the ground, in the dirt, in the sand. Now, what did he write? What did he draw? We don't know. I don't know. I'm not here with any great answers today. I, I'm not. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation, like maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments, or maybe he wrote, where's the guy? Or maybe he's playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he was writing. And I got to say this. I, I believe that because John doesn't tell us what he was writing, that it really doesn't matter. I think what was happening here is that Jesus was showing amazing kindness to this woman. Let me explain. Let me explain. I thought about this a lot, and I've really never thought of, uh, uh, really conceived, I don't think I've ever preached this before, but as I was praying over this passage, it just came to me that, you know, Jesus had tremendous compassion for this woman. He did not condone her sin. He never condoned her activity, but he had tremendous kindness for her in this awful situation. You got to understand, this woman, you know, they, they, they found her, they, they quote unquote, arrested her and, and, you know, in the act of adultery. So what kind of attire did she have? I'm sure they didn't give her time to, to get properly dressed or to check her hair and makeup. They came and they flung her to embarrass her and to entrap Jesus, to humiliate her. 
And the embarrassment and the humiliation had to be overwhelming as she found herself in the middle of a crowd at the temple. We're not talking about, you know, being on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. We're talking about the, the temple. And I believe that as Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground, he did so to distract and divert the attention of the crowd from this woman to, what is that guy doing? What is, what is he doing? Maybe that's just me. I, 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 but, I, but I'm looking like, why, why do we know that he wrote in the ground? That's what I came up with, and I, I sort of like it. Because Jesus was kind, and Jesus demonstrated his kindness in all kinds of ways. In all kinds of ways. And, and for me, I, I think the thing that I really want to just stress this morning is that regardless of my financial situation or your financial situation, we can all show kindness to the poor. All of us. All of us. We can show kindness to the poor. We can follow Jesus' example uh, in, in everything and show kindness to the poor regardless of our financial situation, regardless of the deed that the, the person has done, whether righteous or unrighteous, we can and should show kindness to the poor. If we have no money in our pockets or if we have no money in our checking accounts, we can still show kindness to the poor. How? By not ignoring them, by not averting our glance by acting like they don't exist, but by looking at them, by listening to them, by giving them our time and attention. Jesus was kind to this woman by giving the crowd something other to focus on rather than this woman. What's Jesus writing on the ground? What's he doing? What, what's going on over here? And when we are encountering the poor and really anyone else, let us not forget that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The kindness of God, and we're going to see that played out here with Jesus and this woman in just a, just a couple of minutes. And, and, and the, the, the dictate, the mandate, the, the command that we get from Scripture to be kind to one another doesn't come with if they are moral, if they've made all the right decisions, if they are of this religious group or that religious group. It's be kind to each other, period. And that's God and his love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness setting the bar really low for us. And the Holy Spirit will empower us and enable us to do this if we will we'll simply say yes. It's really important, and I'm thankful that our, our, our ministry to and with the poor sees this as a, as a foundational truth that the poor are never projects. They're never projects. They are all people made in the image of God who are worthy of our engagement. They are. They're worthy of our engagement. In no way was Jesus condoning adultery or any other kind of sin in this situation. Jesus knew what this situation was really all about. And, and we see at the beginning of John 8 that this woman uh, is threatening to be stoned. And at the end of the same chapter, we see where they are threatening to stone Jesus. So he, he knew what this was about. And he showed kindness and he showed mercy to this woman. And when the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us, you never know what the engagement with the poor might look like. And that's what makes it exciting and, and fun and nerve-wracking. You just never know what God might do. Sometimes our engagement might seem really small and insignificant, 
and God does amazing things through it. Sometimes the, the level of engagement might be much more significant. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for some of the significant things that God's calling us to and some of the seemingly insignificant things that God's calling us to as a church in 2022. Um, as Mary Margaret mentioned last week about our partnership with Family Promise of Augusta, this is, again, a, a more organization that works with homeless families to provide for them home, um, home stability and housing stability. Uh, we're gonna be housing a homeless family here on our campus for two one-week periods, one week in June, one week in October. We're gonna be providing them meals. We're gonna give them a safe place to, to be as they work through this program. And we're also closer to purchasing Vineyard Church of Augusta's own Compassion House that we will use in conjunction with Family Promise. Uh, what, how they will use this, people who've gone through their program successfully, they will be able to live in this house rent-free for up to a year as they complete their program. And, and, and this is something that uh, Family Promise, they, they've got about a 70% success rate uh, in what they're doing. So we're very excited about the opportunity to provide housing stability and to be a part of that tangible expression of the love and the goodness and the kindness of God. You know, stable housing is probably something most of us take for granted, but housing stability and home ownership can make a really big difference uh, in the trajectory for a family, and not just for the, that generation, but it can have ripple effects for generations to come. This is a picture of a lady named Mary Farabo. Uh, her picture was uh, from a, an article in the Washington Post this summer. And as a widowed single mother of four sons, Mary worked as a maid, and in 1936, she was able to save $500 in order to purchase a house for her family. And that decision changed the trajectory of, of her family's finances for generations to come. The interview in the Washington Post was with one of her grandsons, and he said, it's proof that you can change the entire line of a family story. My father and my uncle own multiple properties and pretty much everyone in our family owns their own home and has gone to college because of her decision as a poor maid who was born to parents who were slaves. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's really cool, Reese. Well, I mean, I have a situation that I came across last, in the last several years locally. I have a friend who had a lot of rental property, and he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the rental property. I want to get rid of it. And he started selling the rental property. And there was this one house in particular that he had rented to a lady for many, many years. And um, she had really taken really good care of the house. And um, her rent was not on time. It was early every month. That was, that was her mojo. And he is a follower of Jesus, and he felt prompted to, he went over to do some work on the house. He knew he was getting ready to sell it. And he felt prompted to ask her, would you be interested in buying this house? And the woman was a single mom. And she's like, I can't buy this house. I can't afford this house. I don't have a down payment. I, I, I can't do this. And he said, what if I gave you the down payment? Or what if I just financed it myself for you? No down payment needed. And your, your rent, your, your mortgage will be pretty much the same as what you have right now, except you'll have to also pay for your taxes and your insurance, but I'll help you with that and we'll get that worked out. Would you, would you want to do that? 
and the interest rate I charge you will be a lot less than you'd be able to get, even if you were able to qualify our loan. Uh, and it was very, very fair and very reasonable. It was more than the less than 1% he'd get by putting it in savings. But it was still a really, really low rate. And she's like, well, sure. And this guy came out of the church uh, several months ago, and I drove down with him to the Richmond County Courthouse, and uh, he signed over the deed. She'd paid the house off. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Now, you know, you say, well, Reese, that's cool, but I, I could never do that. Some of us might not be able to, but some of us could. Some of us could. And it takes a risk. It takes, uh, you know, a notion of recognizing, okay, this person, um, I'm going to take a chance on them. Yeah, he had a really good payment history with her. He saw that she took good care of the house. There were a lot of things that went into play. But I just, I, I want to stress the fact that there are kindnesses that all of us, regardless of our income level, can, can share. And ultimately, again, this message is called kindness instead of shame. And here in John 8, Jesus offers a woman caught in adultery in the midst of a crowd who was there to shame her and to trap Jesus. He offers her kindness. And we need to understand that, that shame, uh, shame is a very powerful thing. Uh, and shame related to poverty, it goes beyond just our finances. It affects our mental health, our spiritual health too. I, uh, a number of times when I've worked in food pantry, um, I have served a guy, and it's always cool. I, when, I, when, I, when I find myself, I, we encourage the staff to serve once a month. And when I find myself serving and I come across the same person multiple times, and this guy, um, I, I, I've had a chance to serve him several times, and I was like, Lord, what are you doing here? And, and I, I'm always touched because, you know, I check in with him. He's, he's someone who works, but he also shared with me that he's bipolar, and that he ends up losing his jobs quite often because of problems with his medication and reactions and, and just some inconsistency on that. Um, we need to understand that, that shame is powerful and shame is, goes beyond just the financial, uh, uh, you know, financial effects of poverty. It, it affects mental, spiritual health. And, um, you know, I think about myself. I'm, I'm, I'm a middle-class guy. I've got a, you know, a strong financial base. But I've made poor financial decisions in my life, and I felt a lot of shame for them. I was ashamed of them and, and felt shame for that, even though I had a great support system and, and family and a steady job. And, and so I, I want us to understand all of these dynamics that, that we have the opportunity as we interact with people, whether it's the food pantry or whether it's the work that we'll be doing with Family Promise in 2022 to, to share kindness rather than to in any way address, uh, field shame or in any way give off a vibe of, 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 that would cause a person to feel shameful for their financial situation. I want to stress again, we may not be able to finance someone else's house, or we may not be able to buy someone a car, but we can show kindness and in and, and all kinds of ways that will combat the power of shame that so often comes with poverty. I want to wrap up with this. It's good news for the woman caught in adultery. It's good news for the poor, and it's good news for every single one of us here today, regardless of our financial state, it's this. Jesus takes away our shame, and he offers us forgiveness and hope. He does that. That's what he loves to do. 
When all the crowd had left the scene, Jesus and the woman were there by themselves. And for the first time in this whole situation, the woman who was supposedly the central object of this whole encounter, she is finally addressed for the first time. And who does it? Jesus. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't one of them condemn you? And she responds to him, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He gives forgiveness of sin. He gives hope for a new beginning for her life. And it just reminded me as I read this this week um, of, of Jesus' very first time in the temple at the beginning of his public ministry. We find it in Luke chapter 4 where he goes in, he takes down the scrolls from Isaiah, and he basically reads his mission statement that Father God had sent him here on earth to do. And we find that he read from, from Isaiah 61. I would encourage you today to go and read Isaiah 61. I want to pull just a few verses that really tie into to, to this passage. It begins, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's the very first thing he says out of the chute. So let us never, ever get comfortable with thinking, oh, well, you know, we're a suburban church. We really don't have any responsibility to the poor. What? Yeah, the very first thing Jesus is saying in terms of his mission statement deals with bringing good news to the poor. Let's, let's scroll down, verse 7. This is where this exchange uh, of shame comes. I love this. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. I believe that double portion was received by this woman. She received forgiveness of sin. She re received the, the truth of go and sin no more, hope for a new future, a new beginning. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And let us never, ever forget that we want to be people who love the things God loves and he does the things that he does. And I love this. For I, the Lord, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For I, the Lord, I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. And their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I think that sounds like an awesome deal. It's one that I want to invite all of us, individually and collectively, to, to say yes to this morning. Uh, today is our culmination for our compassion offering. We've been encouraging you for the last month and a half to be praying about what God would have you give sacrificially over and above your regular tithes and offerings. Many of you have already given online. Thank you for your gifts. Many of you are planning to give online today. Thank you for your gifts. Um, make sure that as you go online to do that, or as you're, if you're writing a check today, that you put compassion in the, the note on your check, or you make sure on, as you scroll down, uh, it gives you different options for which funds to give to. Make sure that you mark compassion because everything that says compassion will go to our compassion fund for the upcoming year to pay for 
uh, our, our, the things we've talked about, the things that you saw in the brochure, the range of ministries that we have. I believe this morning that I know I was prompted as I was preparing and thinking about this morning, I, I think some of us need to go to the Lord again uh, and say, Lord, okay, what, what, what is this supposed to look like for me and my family in this gift? We, we, we never shoot for a goal in terms of a numerical goal for our compassion offering. Uh, we are not heavy-handed in this kind of thing. We don't make long, laborious pleas. Uh, that's not my job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to speak into all of our hearts and lives. We want to be people who are obedient to what the Holy Spirit is doing and joyous in our giving. Having a pastor beat you over the head and guilt you into to shaming you for, for what you give or what you don't give, that's not, that's not what I'm into. And I think if you've been around this church any length of time, you know that. But I, I do. I, I do want us not to be presumptuous or not to be just sort of wrote with, I gave this last year, I'll give this this year, I gave this year before, this is what I give. This is in. And if that's what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, that's great, go for it, be obedient. That's the thing I want to challenge all of us, myself, my family, and my church family too. And, and, and those who are, are joining us online who are part of Vineyard Church of Augusta, is I just want you to just to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is, is, is calling you to do. That's it. That's it. And, um, and, and just to, to be responsive to that, whatever that looks like. Not just with your resources. Today we are culminating with our offering, but also with your time and energy, getting involved uh, with, with the outreaches that we have. But we do these outreaches almost just to, to prime you and to give you an opportunity to interact maybe with a group of people that you don't interact with a lot so that there would be a, a more of a natural tendency to, to step out in your day-to-day -day life. And to, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood or maybe it's someone that you see on the street near where you work to be able to say, hi, my name's Reese. What's your name? What's going on in your life? How can I help today? How can I show kindness? And to begin there and to trust God and to follow the Holy Spirit, he will go with you. He, will go, he goes with us as we serve the poor, whether it's in Haiti, whether it's in downtown Augusta, whether it's in the parking lot of 3126 Parish Road. He's with us. And as we give our ear and our attention to him, he leads us and he guides us. He empowers us. And he does some really cool things. And I'm very excited about what God has in store for us. Um, Don came over to me between worship and said he felt like this morning as we were singing one of the lines of the song, All of Us and More, that, uh, you know, the whole idea that, uh, uh, Don, refresh my memory. Yeah, once you share, get the mic and share that. So I don't want to get it wrong. The line in the song was, I thought it was the end, but you've just begun. And I just felt this, this sense of happiness and joy well up in me and, and that, that, that his heart was leaning in and saying, I'm just beginning. In so many of these areas where we see so much darkness, so much that takes our attention off our identity, he's just beginning. Uh, there's a lot of hope in that. And, and this kind of thing that, that we, this is part of our core. This is who we are as a people. He's just beginning, and he will take whatever we give, and he will magnify its impact 
far beyond what we could do individually. So just hear that. He is, he is beginning, and he is leaning in, and he's anxious to go to work with us. Amen. Thank you, Don. Let's stand together. <clears throat> just invite you to bow your heads and uh, just that posture of being open to the Holy Spirit. If you feel comfortable opening your hands like you're going to receive a gift, um, Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your desire to let us be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us. Lord, we thank you that you, that you take away our shame. Jesus, thank you for being that ultimate sacrifice for us, the substitutionary sacrifice You took upon our sin, even though you were sinless, that you bore the sin of the world. We thank you for your kindness that leads to repentance. Holy Spirit, I I thank you that the the fruit of your Spirit is kindness, and we pray for more. More Holy Spirit. More of you pouring out your kindness into each of our hearts. And Father, I pray that you'd come and that you would just set things right in our minds when we find ourselves becoming cynical or discounting the small things. I thank you, Lord, that you have an amazing track record of working with very small things. We give you our fish, our loaves of bread. We give you our, our widow's might. We give you these things in obedience. Ultimately, God, we give you our hearts. We give you our hearts. Lord, we, we bring our offerings today. Many of us have already given. There are many that will give today and in the weeks ahead. We bring these offerings to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless them, that you would direct how they are used, that they would be effective in, in, in caring and ministering to the poor in our community, around this region, around the world. Lord, bring your kingdom. Thank you for inviting us to be a small part of it. We just want to say yes to you. Yes to you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here this morning. And I ask that you would give us, as we go through our week and our our, our year ahead, that you'd give us eyes to see uh, people as you see them. That you'd give us hearts to care for people and, and compassion, your compassion, Lord. I pray that you do that. I pray that that we would hear your voice clearly, what you're calling us to to say, to do. And, And Lord, we give all honor and all glory to you. We just thank you for the privilege of partnering with you, Holy Spirit, in what you're doing. And showing justice, particularly to the poor. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.